0: listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 20, starting with verse 27, and we'll be reading down to verse 40. And today we're going to be answering the question, does life abruptly end, or is there more in store? But before we take a look at that, I just wanted to point something out to you from our website. If you haven't had the opportunity to stop by our website, it's desirejesus.com. And at the top of the website, you'll see a link to our bookstore. And uh, the first books you'll see in our bookstore are the Desire Jesus devotional series that I've been writing this year and releasing one volume at a time. So there's a 30-day devotional for each volume that's being released. Volume 6 is free to download from our website if you'd be interested, and Volume 1 can be downloaded in digital form from Amazon.com, also for free. We have it set to be permanently free on Amazon. We got special permission to do that. But Volumes two, three, four, and 5 are on sale for only 99 cents each. So if that's something that might interest you, stop by DesireJesus.com, and you'll see the link for our bookstore, and be sure to check those out if you think those might be helpful. And uh, also, don't forget to grab both Volume 1 and Volume 6, which are free to download. Now, I mentioned just a few moments ago that today we're looking at Luke chapter 20, starting with verse 27, and we'll be answering the question, does life abruptly end, or... Is there more in store? And uh, it's kind of interesting when you look at this kind of question and you think about our day-to-day lives and our day-to-day experiences and the things that tend to happen abruptly or the things that tend to drag on a little bit. The other day, my family had the opportunity to visit an amusement park. During the summer months, there's a park that we like to visit together, and sometimes we bring friends along. But we usually stop by once a month, and uh, our kids have a great time there. They have a ride at this park that's a very tall tower i i don't know exactly how tall this tower is it's easily over a hundred feet and you sit in a cart, and it brings you all the way up to the top very slowly, and then when you get to the top, it lets you go, and you drop in like a free fall right till you get to just above the ground, and then it slows you down, and you safely land every time, and it's definitely one of the scarier rides to ride. It's it's very funny to hear both adults and children scream when they're uh, when they're falling down, but We've seen it run many times, and it's always been fine, and there hasn't been any problem. So even though it tends to be a little bit scarier, a little bit freakier, uh, it works out okay. And uh, our kids and and the children of our friends were on that ride just uh, two days ago as I record this, and it brought them all the way to the top. And normally, again, you're just there for a second before you drop down. But when they got to the top of the ride, there they were over 100 feet up in the air, it just stopped. They just sat there, and my wife was looking, and my friend's wife was looking, and they see their children just (laughs) stuck at the top of this ride, not moving. And my wife started to get a little bit nervous, and then she looked at it, and she noticed that the ride, instead of operating like it normally does was starting to slowly really slowly creep toward the ground and so she's having kind of a panic moment wondering did something malfunction on the ride what's about to happen so she ran up to the ride operator and she said listen i'm a worried mother i need you to reassure me what's going on with that ride why did it just abruptly stop at the top instead of coming down like it normally does and the ride operator said uh, Well, I I accidentally bumped the button. It's a foot pedal, actually, uh, for the safety mechanism on the ride. He said, I was leaning back on my chair, and I bumped it, so now the ride has to completely reset. So eventually it'll let your kids come all the way down, and I'll give them a real ride, but that's why it's acting like that. And uh, obviously my wife was a bit freaked out, but it just adds uh, a new level of fun stories that we will have to be able to share from our summer experience. But as I mentioned a moment ago, when we're talking about things ending abruptly or starting abruptly or even dropping abruptly. The question we're asking today is, does life abruptly end or is there more in store? And I'm about to read from Luke chapter 20, starting with verse 27. So if you have a copy of the scriptures handy, feel free to read along with me. I always read through the uh, English Standard Version is the the version I like the best. And um, uh, so that's what I'll be reading from. But if you're in your car or something like that, obviously just, just follow along. This is what it says, though, in Luke 20, starting with verse 27. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, The man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her. And likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to look at this portion of Scripture today. And Lord, as we look at this this portion from Luke chapter 20, and as we study it together, we pray, Lord, that we would grow in our walk with you. We pray that we would grow in our understanding of what you've communicated. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to mature in our trust, and that obedience to you would be something that we would practice in all matters and in all areas of our lives. So Lord, thank you again for your word. Grant us your wisdom, we pray as we look at it together. We pray this all in Jesus name. Amen. Now as we're getting started here, let me let me just pose a question and it's kind of a it's really just a a very general question, but I'll ask it anyway. And the question is this. What's your perspective On life. So let me just hang that in the air for just a second. What's your perspective on life? I think that would probably be an interesting question to ask a large group of people. I'm certain that you would get many different answers, and if you listen closely, you'd most likely be able to to discern quite a few worldviews that might be present in those answers. And some people think of life as being brief. Some people, if you ask them their perspective on life, they would say that they consider life to be more about the pursuit of comfort than anything else. Others look at their lives and would probably say that the running theme of their life has been one of suffering. Many people look at earthly life through the lens of believing that it's all we're really given. Their worldview contributes to the belief that there is nothing beyond the few short decades our bodies successfully function on this earth. But what do you think? Is life something that comes to an abrupt end, or is there more in store? And how does our answer to this question impact the quality of our lives in the present? Well, let's look through this Scripture, and let me pose a few ideas and a few questions along the way. The first question I want to throw out here related to this specific Scripture is this. Why would anyone choose to live without hope? Let me reread verse 27 and a few of the verses following, but it says there, There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. And let me jump to the end of that section, verse 33. They ask, in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. People have a knack for dividing themselves into various camps. We all seem to like labels, we like being part of groups. We often try to seek some kind of identity through the ideas and people we choose to associate with. Uh, Just this past week, this week that just ended, I had the privilege of teaching courses to new and aspiring pastors. So there were about 15, 20 pastors that came to these courses, and I taught them along with three other pastors. And as we were teaching these men, it was, it was a, a very enjoyable experience. But I do notice something when I get together with groups of new pastors. They always want to know what theological camp I fall into. They're intensely interested in which labels I stick on myself. So here's a summary of the uh, questions I received during the course of this week. It would kind of sound like this. Am I a Calvinist, Arminian, Wesleyan, conservative, liberal, young earth, old earth, cessationist, charismatic, premillennial, amillennial who practices baptism by immersion, pouring, or sprinkling? that 's kind of like a summary of of some of the things people have asked me and wanted to know, and I understand the heart behind those questions, and I ask questions like that as well too. but I think that sometimes when i when i 'm asked questions about what labels do I like to slap on myself, sometimes I think um, my answers annoy people a little bit because I think i 'd rather be known as a follower of Jesus than an adherent to the narrow dictates of some of our theological preferences. Now obviously I have some theological preferences, and you've probably picked up on many of them as uh, you listen to this podcast, but in the end I I don't think I really want to be known by any of these labels. I'd rather just be known as someone who loves Jesus and is serious about teaching, studying, and living out His Word. But again, people love their labels, And one of the labels that was prominent in Jewish theology and Jewish culture is referenced in this particular passage, and we're also told a little bit about what people that ascribed to that label believed. This passage mentions the Sadducees, and we're told that Sadducees didn't believe in such a thing as the resurrection. In fact, they denied it. They even tried to give Jesus a seemingly complicated family scenario to analyze that they thought would bolster their point that the concept of the resurrection was silliness. Now, as we're reading this passage today, I don't know how a passage like this strikes you, but I have to admit that one of the emotions it brings out of me is sadness. I look at this smug group of people who were truly blessed with opportunities for formal learning. And that's not something everybody in this world is blessed with. But you could see that even though they had formal teaching, formal training, formal learning, what they really lacked was understanding. Because here you have Jesus offering them hope. That probably seemed too simplistic to them, so they rejected him. The scriptures that many of them claim to understand and know, the scriptures offered them encouragement to think beyond this world. But that was information they did not embrace, partly because they had a bad habit of dismissing things in scripture that didn't fit with what they already wanted to believe. Now, you and I can also live without hope like they did if we want to, but I wish we wouldn't. I like what we read in Romans fifteen thirteen, where it says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what's the scripture speaking to us about? What's it telling us? Well, through faith in Jesus, We are blessed with a confident hope that is designed by God to overflow from our lives. It's also fascinating to realize that with hope also comes joy, peace, confidence, and power. These are supplied to us in abundance through Jesus when we trust Him and stop working against what He's trying to teach us and stop working against what He's trying to do within us. Our future hope directly impacts the quality of our present-day life. Why would anyone choose to live without hope when that's not something God has called us to do? Another question that might be valuable to ask as we look at a portion of Scripture like this is what will be different about us in the age to come? Look at verses 34 down to verse 36 where it says, And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Some people embrace change and maybe you're one of those people that embrace change i i certainly can point to some areas of my life where i i definitely embrace change others resist it and probably i would say the majority of people resist change if i had to had to venture a guess but what's your perspective toward change are some changes easier for you to accept than others do you sometimes catch yourself thinking that the way things are at present is the way things will always B. What does Jesus reveal to us in his answer to the Sadducees? Well, Jesus explained a contrast between the way those who have been granted the gift of eternal life live now and how they will live in the future. To set this up, let me reference a process the Lord is bringing those who believe in him through. At the moment you trusted in Jesus, you were justified or declared righteous by God. Throughout the course of your life, he is progressively sanctifying you, which means he is helping you to grow in holiness and spiritual maturity. And then after your body dies, he's going to glorify you, which will involve giving you a new body that doesn't sin, nor is it subject to the effects of sin. In this present era, we practice marriage and we bear children. And in the age to come, after we're glorified, we won't be given in marriage and we won't continue to have children, nor will it be possible for us to experience death. On the contrary, here, when you look at this portion of Scripture, Jesus explains that we will be like the angels. We won't be angels, but we'll be like the angels. So the question the Sadducees asked Jesus was based on a false premise that showed that they didn't understand much about what life in our glorified state will be like. Jesus also refers to those who trust in him as being sons of the resurrection. To be a son of the resurrection indicates our identification with Christ in his resurrection. When Jesus rose from the grave, he defeated sin, he defeated Satan, and he defeated death. At present, during this season of our sanctification, we can experience victory over all three through the power of Christ. In the future, when we're in our glorified state, we'll see the ultimate effects of the victory Christ secured put into full effect. We won't be tempted to sin any longer, Satan won't be able to bring accusation against us, and death won't have any power over us. Our natural bodies are perfectly designed for living in this world. Our new spiritual bodies will be perfectly designed for heaven. In the glorified state that Jesus is referring to in this passage, we'll resemble Jesus in his resurrected state. I like what it says in Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 20. It says this But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. It's a beautiful portion of Scripture. Now, after Christ's resurrection, The disciples were still able to physically touch him, and he also ate food. But Jesus was also able to walk through walls, appear, disappear, and travel distances quickly without exhaustion. We're also shown that his wounds were open and he didn't bleed. Some take this to mean that our glorified bodies won't have blood like our natural bodies do. It's interesting to fathom what the Lord has in store for those who trust in Jesus. But Christ was trying to help this group of confrontational doubters to gain a glimpse of the kind of future that can await anyone who believes in him. One other facet that I think is brought up in the words that Jesus speaks in this particular passage is this, true life is found in a relationship with our Creator. Let me reread verses 37 down to verse 40. It says this, But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed, in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. So in this passage, Jesus was speaking to people who tended not to take a literal view of the Scriptures. Yet it's clear that that Jesus was conveying that the events recorded in the Old Testament regarding the life and the ministry of Moses were literal occurrences. Specifically, Jesus brings their attention back to the passage of Scripture where the Lord spoke to Moses from a bush. That portion of Scripture is found in Exodus chapter 3, starting with verse 2, and this is what it says. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So in that passage, the Lord told Moses that he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Lord wasn't just speaking in the past tense. He wasn't just saying that at one time years ago, he had been their God. He said that, presently speaking, he was their God, even though these men had experienced physical death hundreds of years earlier. The point Jesus was making is that the Scripture teaches that there is such a thing as life after death. Physical death is a transition, not an ultimate ending. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were very much alive and didn't cease to exist after their earthly lives were complete. I don't imagine the Sadducees believed this, even after Jesus declared it to be true, but rhetorically speaking, they seemed to think he gave a decent reply to their questions, so for the time being, they decided to stop bugging him. But let's not miss the greater point Jesus is trying to convey here. The names he listed were men who were known for having a relationship with the Lord. Consider what Scripture tells us about Abraham in particular. I like what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 8. We read, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So what do we see in that passage? Abraham believed the Lord when he spoke. His belief was lived out in obedience. He wasn't somebody who merely knew about his Creator. He knew the Creator personally and continues to live because of that relationship. True life is found in a relationship with our Creator. Scripture is clear that Jesus is the Creator and Sustainer of the universe. It tells us this in Colossians 1 verse 16, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So the scripture tells us that Jesus is our creator, and he desires that we invest in our relationship with him. Many of us make daily investments in our health. That's a good thing, and we should keep doing that. Many of us are making regular investments in our finances. That's also a smart thing to do. We're making regular investments in our children. Again, that's wise to do, and it's something we should continue practicing and doing. But comparatively speaking, how many minutes of our week are spent making investments in our relationship with Christ? It's an important question to ask and i think sometimes by way of comparison it can be almost convicting to realize just how how many hours and minutes and days we spend focusing on lesser things and how little time we sometimes give toward investing in our relationship with jesus christ our creator as we finish up let me let me throw a few more thoughts out there just for a, a just a quick moment does your life ever feel like it's just a series of purposeless wanderings? Do you struggle to value who God has created you to be? Do you ever wrestle through doubt and discouragement? I would contend that if any of that is the case, you take a close look at your relationship with your Creator and begin making more intentional investments in it because he can bring clarity and encouragement into your life like nothing else and no one else can. You are meant for, I am meant for, we are designed for an ongoing, continually growing relationship with Jesus Christ, our Creator. So even though you could live without hope, if you really wanted to, don't live without hope. Don't mistakenly believe that your future won't be any different from your past. True life is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He has great things in store for all who trust in Him and confess Him as Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for this day, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at your Word together, to read it, to study it to meditate on its content, and by your grace to grow from it. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be men and women after your own heart. We pray that we would trust you and love you And we pray, Lord, that we would approach each and every day that we live with great hope in you, that our greatest hope wouldn't be in one another, that our greatest hope wouldn't be in ourselves, that our greatest hope wouldn't be on some sort of governmental authority or on whether or not we achieve a level of creature comfort that is beyond what we've experienced in the past. We pray, Lord, that our hope that's lasting and true and doesn't fade or spoil, that that kind of hope, that kind of confident hope would be in you, that you would fill us with your peace, that you'd fill us with your joy, that you give us your power and strength as we walk in the knowledge of you and great trust of you that you have prompted within our lives. Thank you, Lord, for all of these things. Thank you for your presence with us as well, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the program, we'd encourage you to stop by desirejesus.com slash bookstore. On that page, you'll find links to a whole bunch of resources that I've put together through the years. And uh, one of the resources you'll see right at the top of that page are the series of 30-day devotionals that I've been releasing one per month. You'll see a link to Volumes 1 through 6. Volumes two through five are currently on sale in digital form for just 99 cents on Amazon. Volume one is set to be permanently free forever, hopefully, or as close to it as we can get uh, on Amazon. So if you want to download volume one, that's completely free. These are also, most of them are available in paperback as well. Obviously those aren't free, but the digital versions of, uh, of the books are either reduced or free, and Volume 6 itself is available to download for free right from the website. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy those resources. Uh, Thanks for your feedback throughout the course of the week. It's always nice to hear from you, and we look forward to getting together again right here next Monday. Take care.